What's going on, world, and welcome to another episode of the Artificials Podcast. My name is Prince, and I am your host. And today's guest is Adam Danny. He's a 29-year-old landscape photographer based out of Buffalo, New York. He works in finance at a Fortune 100 company, and he loves to get out and travel when he's not working. My dude, Adam, what's up? What's going on, Prince? Thanks for having me on, man. Dude, I really welcome, appreciate it. Welcome to the show, my dude. Why don't you start us off with sharing with the AOV community a little bit of more background about yourself? Sure. So as you had mentioned, I'm 29 years old and I'm located in Buffalo, New York. For those of you who don't know, it's about seven hours west from New York City. Think of like Niagara Falls. Canada's right there. I got into photography about four years ago when I was kind of experiencing a loss from my dad. That was about seven years ago, but it took me about three years to really discover photography. And always been into traveling. 16 years old, I made my first big international trip to Japan. And ever since then, I was hooked. Went to Europe a bunch of times. I've been to Iceland, oh, Canada. And, and yeah, and I work in finance full time and get out and travel and do photography whenever I can. At 15, dude, first of all, that's so rad. At 15, I had never been, I think it, I was, I've been to three states at 15 and, and, <laughs> and, and it was definitely wasn't a vacation. That's really rad. You also had told me earlier that you climbed Mount Fuji at during yes. that trip. So that's yeah. impressive. What was that like at such a young age? Oh, that, that was crazy. So yeah, it was my, I got there when I was 15 and on my 16th birthday, me and my brother climbed Mount Fuji. And I mean, I can't even just, I don't know what the uh, highest mountain I climbed was before that. Nothing like that in Buffalo. And it's cool. You just, you start early in the morning, it's dark and you're going up these switchbacks. And then all of a sudden the sunrise comes up and you're, you're pretty much in the clouds at that point. And it's just euphoric, but I'm also terrified of heights. <laughs> so I'm like hugging the inside of the trail as much as I can. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was unreal. And that was my first like real big outdoor experience. And like you said, big uh, international trip. And I was fortunate enough at that time to be able to go there. Uh, my brother was working in Tokyo at the time. And so we were able to me, my mom and my dad traveled out there and visited them for about two and a half weeks. I think it was. Dude, that's fantastic. But, you know, I have to take it deeper. So I'm curious like, what did that trip do for you as a as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old young man? Like, what did you, like, that's a huge feat. It's not like you just went there and climbed a mountain like you're playing on the jungle gym. What do you think that did for you going, you know, moving forward in life? Like, you had already had like a serious accomplishment, face some adversity on a very difficult thing. What did you yeah. learn and take away from that trip that helped you, you know, moving forward? Yeah, I, I think it, it, like, opened my eyes to one a new culture. Japan to the US was a complete culture shock for me. So just being able to get out there and realize that I can handle myself in another culture, even though I'm 15, I'm with my mom and my dad and stuff like that. But there's still things you have to do on your own, like navigating around the cities, navigating the transportation systems. So yeah, I kind of was like a little bit of adversity that you learn that you're able to handle and persevere through. So then in life, when you face other things, whether it's difficulties at school, difficulties in a relationship, whatever it might be, you've already kind of faced a little bit of adversity. 
and you're able to persevere through that. It's kind of hard to compare like traveling to like life problems, but in a way it kind of works out. For sure. I mean, traveling in my experience is like definitely the ultimate teacher. And when I speak with people, they always learn so much while traveling, whether they know it or, or not. I think it's important when people come back home from big experiences, whether it be a live event, whether it be traveling, I think it's important to take some time to reflect on the experience. Otherwise it just, you just get caught. You just get tossed right back into the chaos. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of experiencing now after all these events. I'm like, I need to take some time (laughs) and, and, and just really reflect on what did I learn during these experiences? How do I grow from this? Any new ideas, like more or less like a, you know, a summary of what happened. And so uh, I think that's good for people to do. I'm curious what drives your passion in photography and travel and, and what motivates you to keep going? Cause you've been doing this now for a long, like quite a long time, especially the traveling. Yeah. There's just so much out there to see that you don't want to stop. I don't, when I have vacation time, I get a good amount of vacation time from work and I don't like the idea of just sitting at home or taking what they call, you know, a staycation. Mm-hmm. I want to utilize as much time as I have to be able to go out and see the world. And when I go to these places, it just fuels your energy up again. There had been been kind of going through a hard time back in February, March, and I put the camera down for a while. And my one good buddy said to me, dude, we need to get out, do some photography, get your passion back up. And he said, let's go to Oregon. And I was hesitant about it. I just didn't feel like doing anything. I didn't feel like traveling. And he's like, Let's just go. Trust me. So we went out there, went and instantly hooked right back in. Just being back out in a place I'd never been for been before, never been the Pacific Northwest at the time, and seeing a completely different landscape than I'd ever seen before. It's you know different than the Rockies. It's different than Europe. It's different than the Northeast. And that that to me is what it's all about. Just seeing new places. And when I get to these places, I want to be able to capture it in the way that I see it. And I want other people to see it as well and experience that. And, you know, in photography, being it, hearing somebody that has seen your photo be like, oh, my God, that place is amazing. I can't believe you captured it like that kind of fuels you even more. Right. It's super interesting. What, what do you think? How do you think the world might look if people were as excited to experience new places as they were to experience just different people? Be a lot happier. <laughs> A lot, a lot peacefuler place. Yeah, it always, it, it always blows my mind when I hear people say they don't like traveling, like they've done it and they don't like it. And I've come across that, and it's just like, ah, that's so, that's weird. That's so foreign to me because you get to meet the coolest people out there. Right. Yeah, you, know, you get to meet people that grew up completely different than you, and it helps you understand them more and understand their culture. And I think if more people did that and more people open themselves up to it, there wouldn't be a lot of like hate in the world, I guess you could say. Because yeah. I don't know many people that actually do like traveling and are also hateful people. Not at all. Yeah, it's super, I don't know, not like we're going to solve the world's problems today on this podcast, but. <laughs> no, nah, but we can it's try, fun. right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. Dude, I just like getting the conversation going. I guess my feeling is, you know, people are always so excited to, to travel places and, and, and to see animals and wildlife and to see places and, and buildings and architecture and mountains and all this stuff. But they don't want to 
in like they don't love people and want to engage with people, whether it's traveling or people in their own community or whatever it is. And I wonder if that's just like a, some weird direct reflection of just like our state of humanity. Like, are we just, do we not just love ourselves, which is why we don't love people. Cause yeah. I feel like if you love yourself, then you kind of naturally love everyone. I think that's, yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting question to ask why people want to go out and see things, but they don't want to like engage with the people. Yeah. Because I personally think as much as I love the landscape and everything, I think meeting the locals or meeting other people is one of the best parts of it. Right. That's why you do it. You make lifelong friends at times. You know, there's still people I talk to from the trips I went on that live in Germany or somewhere up in Canada, wherever it might be. That's beautiful. How do you deal with fear? Have you ever experienced fear from whether it's traveling or, or, or within photography and, and getting out there as a creator? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm kind of going through, I've been going through that for a little while as far as maybe pursuing photography full time. I think the biggest thing for me holding me back is the fear of it, uh, the fear of you know, failure, you know, of what is the long term goal of this thing? Is this a sustainable career is this something I could eventually retire on. One of my goals in life is I want to have a family and I have want, want to have kids is would photography full time prevent that. So the way I look at fear for me is I try to analyze it and weigh the pros and cons and see, okay, this is what I could see myself doing and it would make me happy. I'd be able to travel all the time and see all these awesome places but these are the cons. These are the expenses. Maybe I won't be able to have a family or it won't be the life that I expect or things like that. So it just really comes down to looking at both sides of the fence for me. For sure. Let me ask you this. How do you know what you want your life to look like? Oh man, that's a deep question. What do you want? I, I just want to be, I want to be happy. I want to, I want to have a family so what does and that look like? I want to, I want a life that I find meaningful. Right. You know what I mean? Like if that's providing photos and photography for people and making them happy, then that's one avenue. If it's just providing a life for kids that I'm going to have someday, then that's that. Well, I think I'll be the first to say, I think photography, I think you can make enough money in this space to, to do that. If that's, if that's the, if that's the dream, then I think you could, could definitely take that on. But if the dream is yeah. bigger, if you're not telling me that you want to live in a large house and that you want five kids and that you want to drive a Tesla truck, yeah, then you got to build yourself a vehicle that can take you there, you know, and, and, and photography yeah. can be a, a piece of that. For sure. But I don't think it always has to be one or the other. A lot of times, you know, maybe photography is just a tool in the kit, you know. Mm. Right. And I think that's the the conflict I'm struggling with myself right yeah. now is, does it have to be one or the other? And in reality, maybe it doesn't. And it's just probably fear holding me back from that. Yeah. So I think addressing fear is something that we're always trying to figure out. For and sure. a lot of times it's just going at it. It's the only way. I, I mean, yeah. at least I think it's like fear. Someone's coming at you in an alleyway. The only way and they're going to run towards you, the only way to scare them off is to just take them head on and just say, I'm not backing down. And maybe like, yeah, that's fear at its yeah. finest. You know, it's uh, right. So it's just a, a force meeting another force and may the best win uh, outside of 
fear, I'm curious, with your photography, you have some really, really beautiful landscapes. I love your photography. It's really, really beautiful. It's very epic, I would say. Like you definitely get to the right places during the right times of year, during, you know, some good light. And so I'm curious, are you just getting lucky when you when you go to these places or are some of these places you're going to frequently to get the shot? A lot of them are frequent. Uh, a lot of my New York photos, whether it's Letchworth State Park, I don't know if you've heard of that before, but that's only about an hour drive from me. So I go back multiple times, but I also try and do as much research as I can prior to going out and shooting. I will Google Earth the places. I will look on Instagram at the places and just come up with a whole shot list. And then I'm studying or I'm looking at the weather forecast coming up. What's the best chance that I'm going to have to get great lighting? If there's not great lighting, what's my backup plan? What are my backup shots where maybe the sky isn't going to be as important? So I think it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of luck and putting the work in to get the shot. I love that. And what are you shooting with? Right now I use the Canon 5D Mark IV. Okay. You always been a Canon shooter? Yeah, that's what I started out with. And I, you know, I thought about switching over to Sony like everybody well, well, else's. <laughs> but why it's just is that like, always, it's why a, is it always the default? First of all, I think it's really cool that Sony's gotten to the point to where it's always like this awkward thing. Like that's got to be a great feeling for them. But B, dude, I, dude, nothing wrong. Dude, I grew up shooting Canon. Canon, I love Canon color science. I loved I always love shooting on my Canon. I think, you know, it's just a preference of, of choice, right? They're all, no one makes a bad camera. Right. Yeah. I think it's just, you, you start to see everybody doing it and you're like, oh man, I need to jump on the bandwagon a little bit. And they're not, you, you're a Sony guy. So, you know, they're a lot lighter and they're better for backpacking. But when I, when I priced out switching over, I was like, oh man, this is going to cost me a lot of money. And I kind of felt a little sense of loyalty to Canon. You know, that's who I started with and I right. stick with, stick with them. So yeah. If I was Sony, I'd figure out some type of exchange program. I'd be like, Hey, bring your old Canon camera, bring your lenses. If I was yeah. any camera company, I would probably have some type of program like that. I would love to earn the business, especially if it's, you know, for certain people, it might be just saving them an extra, you know, $500 or getting them a decent price, you know, for the gear to where it's a good enough deal to make the exchange. Well, yeah. Think about how much that's helping companies like Apple mm-hmm. and just trading, trading in phones. That's a big part of their business now. So I don't see why that wouldn't work in the, the camera industry because the camera technology is so rapidly changing nowadays. Yep. I mean, the price points are higher, but I mean, Apple, yeah. is, I mean, so are these phones, man. I mean, $1,200 for a new phone, right? Isn't <laughs> yes. it like crazy? Exactly. So I'm, I mean, I'm sure these, these, they could figure something out. I think that would be definitely very neat. Um, yeah. what are some of the biggest obstacles you face as a photographer? The time to get out and travel to new places. Ooh, uh, time. Yeah. I think time is the one thing you can't buy and you can't get back. So uh, I utilize it as much as I can, like I said, but you know, we get in Amer- in America. It's, I think it's a little bit different. Um, I always use the saying that Americans live to work, whereas everybody else kind of live um, works to live. Mm-hmm. And 
we don't get as much vacation time as a lot of European countries do. And I work with a lot of Europeans, so I see it firsthand. But that would be the biggest obstacle is just getting the time to be able to do a two-week trip to Southeast Asia or some big road trip throughout the U.S. You know, that's one of my my dreams is to do a big road trip throughout Western Canada and all down the U.S. But being able to get a month off is is really difficult. It always it seems like it always boils down to time. But check this out. I was I got well, I got a few things regarding time. But one, because it is frustrating. I, I agree. Us like we as Americans, we have like a workaholic culture. Like we value. It's like it's cool to be a workaholic and 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 be grinding and hustling all the time. And it's not to say that it's a bad thing. No, no, you know, no, no. I think no, that's sure. why our think, culture is we've done so well economically. For sure. Because but, of that mentality. But that that was also during the industrial revolution. Right. Right. You're like sure. you're bro, you're sitting in front of a computer for nine hours a day. Like you could probably <laughs> you could probably do a lot better job if you were doing five. You True. Know? Yeah. Well, and, did you see that new thing that came out? It was like Microsoft Japan went down yes. to a yes. four week four or day. four day work week. Yes, that's what I was gonna pull up for you right now. I was trying to, uh, I was trying to find it in my. So I subscribed to the Hustle, and it was yeah. in the newsletter today. And I was like, that is awesome. And they said productivity went up forty percent. I think was the yep. number. I mean, it makes sense. Of course it does. That's beautiful. Like I love seeing yeah. things like that. I'm like, yes. Like, let's not more or less. What I meant by like hustle and grinding, I'm I mean hours like people people don't thrive on accomplishments it's like i work 80 hours this week rather than you know i produced this much this week and yeah. i think there's a big difference between production and 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 hourly just doing right. things and i do think that japan is one of the countries that struggles with that because i know that's where microsoft did this in mm-hmm. and my brother said the same thing when he worked in japan is that it's kind of a culture mentality of just seeming like you're working a lot, a lot, even though, you know, you work 80 hours a week, what you do in those 80 hours easily could have been done in 40. Right. And, right. I'm, and I'm sure that boils over into the U S as well. For too. sure. Cause you start to identify with that, especially when everyone's hyping you up as being a tough, you're a tough worker, you. And then you start to yeah. identify as I'm Adam, the tough worker. I gotta be working yeah. 75 hours a week because that's my identity. But with not having enough time, so you can create time, right? You can, there's things like getting up earlier. Maybe that's getting up an hour earlier every morning so you can get 30 minutes or 20 minutes of shooting in. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's cutting out, you know, the 20 minutes of whatever show you watch. Maybe that's cutting out the, the Buffalo bills game and going to shoot instead, Uh, (laughs) which I know would be very (laughs) difficult, but like that's life, bro. We all got choices, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I think for me, especially when I travel and I have a trip plan, I try to utilize as much time as I can. So I'll get a flight out Friday after work mm -hmm. and come back Sunday night. Instead of a lot of people, when they do like a week vacation, will go, Saturday to Saturday, but you're kind of missing out on some time there. Yeah, you might be a little tired coming back to work on Monday, but you just got pretty much a whole extra day. So that's a big thing I try to do. No, I dig that. Especially if you you don't, if it's hard to get time, then it's important to maximize time when it's available. On Instagram, who inspires you the most as a photographer? 
So I would say the first photographer that really inspired me, everybody knows is Chris Burkhardt. Um, just his work and his, his life too, right? We were talking about the managing of photography and family. And for what it seems like, he does that extremely well. And he says he has his difficulties. I've listened to his interviews. So outside of just his photography, his whole life kind of inspires me. And then one of the other big guys is Paul Nicklin, one of the National Geographic photographers. Just the photos that he gets of the Arctic and showing the effects of climate change on our world is just amazing. And I know my photography itself doesn't reflect what he does, but it just inspires me kind of as a whole. I dig it. Let me ask, sorry, I'm thinking about what you were saying about your photography and your job now. Uh, have you ever figured, like, have you ever thought about creating a place within your company where you could leverage your photography skills for your, for your company and like kind of maybe work in a hybrid role? I've never thought about that. No, no, I mean, that's a wild one. I think there's, I think there's something there that's worth looking into. Yeah, for sure. I, cause I mean, we have a big marketing department. So I'm sure that could easily be utilized. You know, I, I mean, we're all over the world, so you could bring a lot of perspective from the guy, you know, working, you know, doing what you do. You wouldn't be your average photographer considering the experience and the, your understanding of the space. You bring a lot yeah. of value to the marketing team, I would imagine. Well, another thing I noticed our company doing is just trying to make the actual workspace, the offices, a little bit nicer to work in, not so mundane, and they've been hanging a lot of landscape photos around from around the state, around the country in the offices. Mm. So that's another place where my photos could be utilized as well with the company. Yeah. Why would they not be buying your, like if you worked for me, I can promise you if I'm putting (laughs) up landscape photos and yours are good, like, bro, I'm going to buy your photos from you. Yeah. You know, I just got a picture on my guess, right? Yeah. Put something together. Let's do it. Holler at me. There you go. What about social media? How do you feel about Instagram as a platform right now, 2019, uh, November? Yeah, I think overall it's, it's good. It provides connections to people. I have friends that I wouldn't have met otherwise through Instagram, but it can also have its negative effects. Anything in too much consumption can be bad. And I'm 100% guilty of that as well. Just, um, sitting there, Scrolling through the feed late night all the scrolling? time, watching the lights scroller? come in. What's it? I said late night scrolling. Are you a late night scroller? Late night, early morning. Yeah, that's that's you, something I'm trying to work out. That wakes up. I, dude, I back in the day, I used to wake up and the first thing I would do. There was a time in my life, the first thing I would do would be open up the phone and look at Instagram. Yeah, and it was terrible. For like it kind of makes it's like start your day out poorly. The only thing worse than checking Instagram first, which I've also done, is checking the news. Do not ever just roll no, no. over and like open up Google News. It's just like instant yeah. chaos. <laughs> yeah, should. or turn off the notifications. <laughs> like I used to have those on for CNN and yes. all. That. You got a morning. You got, you got a morning routine. Yeah, I wake up and take a shower, get ready for work. Stop at Starbucks and drive into the office. It's not, yeah. not too exciting. <laughs> it doesn't have to be exciting. I mean, 
as yeah. long as you're taking care of yourself, I was more or less look, you know, do you, do you take time in the morning for yourself before a lot of us, you know, we'll just get up and rush into our day. You take it a little time to just take a deep breath, you know, Enjoy some that's not sunshine. a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really do that. It's like, sit down uh, for 10 minutes. Should I day. wake up? Should I wake up 30 minutes early, 10 minutes early and <laughs> kind of like chill for a minute or do I want to sleep for that extra 10 minutes? And more times than not, it's the, uh, sleeping lighter. But when I do get up early at times, sometimes I try to do it in, in work out in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a fitness center in my, in my apartment complex. So that's nice. It's right downstairs. Nice. I try to do that. And it always starts my day out a lot better when you can kind of just do something for yourself instead of getting up, rushing, going right to work, right. doing that for eight to nine hours. What's your favorite, what's your go-to lens right now for your landscape work? Surprisingly, I love to set using a 70 to 200. Why? So? There's just, what's up? Why so? I just like the ability to take something like a grand scale and just compress it in. I think one of the first photos that you guys had featured on Art of Visuals was from Letchworth, and which for everybody is called, they call it the Grand Canyon of the East. It's this really cool state park in New York. Um, that has this big gorge and a couple waterfalls. And the one point is called Inspiration Point. And it's just a big landscape with this one waterfall with the gorge running up the middle. And I took my 7200 and just compressed it in and used some leaves as like a framing. Yeah, and I, see you on I, that I just loved it. I dig it, dude. I, I, I like it a lot. I, I like someone that understands how to use good subframing in the right during the right, you know, moments, it can definitely add a lot to an image, I think. Yeah, just because I think a big thing with landscape is just being making the viewer be able to see everything that's around you. If you're standing there in person, it's not just the scene 200, 300 yards away. It's the leaves beneath your feet, the trees to your right, to your left, what, the park bench over there. So if you can incorporate those subjects into that scene as well. It adds depth and it adds, I think, the ability for the viewer to connect more with that photo. So I know you've mentioned that you do do some, you know, like urban type photography. I'm curious why you post so little of it. Is it because of where you live? Is it just because you just prefer landscape shooting more or? No, I think it's um, just kind of a theme that I fell into with the landscape and the, the style that I created in, in my Instagram, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's... How do you get to work? I, what's up? How do you get to work? I drive. How far is it? 20 minutes. So 10, 15, 15, 20 miles, something like that. How far would it be if you were to walk? Oh, geez. I don't know. I should pull up Google Maps right now and plug that in. <laughs> Probably be like two to three hours. Okay, don't do that then. Yeah. I, was, I was just trying to find – never been to Buffalo, so I didn't know how like, condensed it was. I was just trying to find more shooting opportunities because I noticed you're shooting landscapes. But obviously, if you're shooting landscapes, that means you need time, a decent amount of time to take a trip. But mm -hmm. if there was a way for you – like if you could walk 30 minutes to work instead of driving in 20 – then you'd have 30 minutes to do like street photography every day on your way to work. Yeah. Well, there is, so the city of Buffalo, like downtown itself has some really cool architecture. It's been 
like go. in national news for it's i think it's like art deco styles um frank Lo- oh shoot who was it frank lloyd right is that the architect right yeah he's an architect yeah yeah so he has a bunch of buildings in buffalo as well and there's some cool trains that go by where you could do some streetscapes with um with the light trails so actually one of my photos that i did do a cityscape on of buffalo was hung up in our local children's hospital so yeah they like that stuff dope dig that dude um do you i kind of want to talk a little bit about some of the the loss you've experienced so you lost your father you told me your uncle grandmother dog how do you how do you I guess what advice would you give to any other creators out there who have, you know, lost people that they love and care about as far as, you know, how you coped with that? The biggest thing for me is talking about them, kind of just reliving their memories and the things, keeping them alive within you. The the best I always feel is when I'm able to tell somebody new what I loved about my father, what it was about my dog that was, that was awesome. And just, like I said, keeping them alive. It was definitely, it's definitely been something that was really hard for me. Growing up, I never really experienced any loss. Three of my grandparents all passed away before I was born. Uh, so I didn't deal with that. And then my father was older. He was 50 when I was born. So probably around the age of 10, I started having the realization that my father was older than most. Mm-hmm. And this fear of losing him earlier than other people started to creep in. So then when it became a reality, when I was, so he was diagnosed probably when I was 21, I think it was 20 or 21, he lived about a year and a half with pancreatic cancer is when it just felt like my life completely changed. I felt like I lived in this box of being invincible and nothing could touch me. And then all of a sudden, one of the worst things that can happen, one of the biggest things I feared happened. And, uh, I just relied on everybody around me. And people say they're afraid to talk to somebody about somebody they might have lost, like ask them how they're doing. What I would say to them is don't be afraid to do that because that helped me immensely. Just having people around that care. You know? Dude, I love that. <clears throat> I love that you have the courage to say that. I think it is important. I think it's more important for us to have the courage to have conversations with people that we love who have lost people than it is yeah. to let our fear of having a difficult conversation stop us, uh, especially when, when, like you said, you needed to, to talk to people. You wanted to, to communicate with people and to express yourself to them. Yeah, I think no matter, for me personally, no matter what I've experienced as far as adversity, whether it's a, a breakup or a loss of a parent, grandparent, dog, whatever it might be, being able to talk about it is hands down the best thing that I could do. And don't be afraid to seek out professional help as well. I've done that because they are trained to direct you in the proper paths to kind of overcome that grief. And again, I think that's another societal issue we face is the stigma around mental health and seeking out professional health. And it's kind of taboo to talk about it. But being able to talk about it I think is one of the best things you can do. How do you keep going creatively when, when you, when you're struck with adversity like this, how do you, 
how do you stay, how do you just, how do you stay in flow, I guess? Or well, how do you bounce I back? Struggled with how that. do you bounce back, I guess? I mean, I understand that, you know, there's probably a, a time, like you take time, mm-hmm. uh, but during the gap, when, you know, when you're not photographing for however long or whatever it may be, how do you get back into the, to, into the rhythm? Huh. Well, I think I just, I start to miss it. Right. It, it might, I don't, it, I don't have a set time where it's like two months, three months, a week. It just, what will happen is I'll put the camera down. I get off social media. I don't worry about that for a little while. And then I start to miss going out into the, the field with my friends or taking a trip with my friends. I mean, some of my best experiences have been my photography trips with some of my friends. And once I start to miss that, I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick up the camera. I'm going to go somewhere local. I'm going to get up for sunrise. I'm going to do the whole thing. And once I do it that one time, I'm like hooked after that. And it gets me right back into that. And that kind of happened, like I was telling you, with the Oregon trip mm-hmm. where I was struggling a little bit. And then I went out on that one big trip and I was hooked again. Dude, I love it's kind of like forcing yourself to just get back into it. <clears throat> That's good. And and I, I think it's really neat. Like, obviously, you love photography. Photography seems to be the center point. Every time you experience something, you always end up coming back to photography, and that helps heal you and, and, and bring you whole again. Who are these friends you're talking about? They got names? Yeah. Uh, one of my best friends that I do this on is Brett Blakely. Uh, he's been on your guys' page. Brett? A couple times. Yeah, Brett. You should check him out. He's Brad a, or Brett? He's a good guy. What? Brett or Brad? Brett. Brad. At Brett. Yeah. What's, what's at up, Brett Brad? Blakely. You're a good friend, dude, and you got a great friend. Adam loves you guys. Yeah, he has been instrumental in a lot of stuff. He's uh, he's the one guy that took me to Oregon, that uh-huh. forced me to do it. And uh, he's essentially like a free therapist for me at times, too. Just really good with that. So He's, he's a necessary layer of the onion, you know, with your life being the onion. Absolutely. And the best things with him haven't been the most memorable things with him in these trips haven't been a photo that we got at that spot. It's the adventure to the photo, the aftermath, the laughs right. and stuff, right? We, the we make like, the jokes. moments, the real stuff, right? The real, yeah. the human element of friendship and adventure. Yeah. And he, he likes to rap Yes, and he's actually pretty good at it. So he comes up with like, uh it like uh photography names like he was calling me kenny kit lens (laughs) or like larry long lens what's he know about bobby boca baby (laughs) there we go i think we had one for like betty boca or yeah brad you and i can hang out anytime bro i would i would love to we do i'm just gonna get him in here i'm gonna get to boise and he's gonna just freestyle on the podcast for sure oh he would do it he was telling (laughs) me about uh he went to uh Oh, well, where, where was it? Somewhere in Africa. I can't remember now, but he was in front it's, it's of irrelevant. all these. It's just Africa, you know? I'm just Yeah, kidding. yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And he, he gets up in front of, I think it was like 300 African people, and they ask him what he does, and he's like, well, you know, I own a golf ball company. And then his brother-in-law screams out, and he raps. <laughs> and the, the MC goes, oh, my God, what? So in front of all these people, they made him rap. That is fantastic. How how did it go? Yeah. Did he kill it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course, yeah. Brad. Jeez, yeah. bro, I can't wait to get you in here. 
What do you think the power of community does for guys like you? I think it just makes life a lot better. I think that it's it's hard to kind of go on and do things in life without that sense of community, those, those group of friends and like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I have I have groups of friends that are into all different things, whether it's high school, college, but then you have those friends that are into photography or whatever hobby it is that you do that are into and are like-minded. You can really like experience all different great adventures with them. And I think that's extremely important, whether it's a church group or a photography group or a sports team. It's all important. And that's why they talk about teams with sports so much too. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all, I think I love using like the onion analogy because I think there's just layers to life. And I think on the different layers, you need friendship and, and deep relationships on each layer. You can't have only deep relationships and, and strong relationships uh, in one light with, you know, with just your family, you got to have your friends and then you're going to have, you're going to have people that you love, but you only see them when you play basketball. Cause those are your basketball right. buddies, you know? Yeah. And that camaraderie and, and finding your tribe and community is, is, is really de- detrimental. I think to just our own growth and existence. And there's been a lot of science and psychology that talks about that. Yeah. I mean, isn't that been throughout human history, right? We're a tribal, tribal people we've always been like that throughout human civilization so up until it's now. important <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we're, we're real you independent. could say technology's we're, made it worse we're real i-n-d-e-p-e-n-d-e-n-t right now my dude yeah but it's a word people like to use a lot i'm independent i can do what i want exactly rather than just yeah, be, yeah it's which is that attitude is even interesting you know yeah that's a whole conversation I'm, in itself yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's important to be able to do things for yourself. For sure. But it's also like, what's the fun in it if you're only doing things by yourself? I think it's important. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Like a strong way to be independent is like, I have knowledge and I can do things. I, and therefore, I'm independent. Doesn't mean I need to go about building this by myself. I can right. build it by myself, but it's a lot more enjoyable to grab three friends and, and, and people that bring something to the table that could help me build it. Yeah. And I personally, I don't like traveling alone. I know a lot of people do and that's, that's awesome, but I do not prefer that at all. I want to grab, you know, two, three, four of my closest friends and go out on a trip somewhere. That's, that's the best part of it to share those experience experiences with them. See, it's not about the photography. No, it's about those no. moments. Yeah, with your tribe. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, like I was saying, some of the trips I've taken, it's not necessarily the photo that I've gotten, but the uh, the experience in getting to that spot or the late night talks, whatever it might be. I love it, bro. We're getting yep. close to wrapping this up. The way that I normally end the podcast is I ask our guests to share some words of love wisdom advice whatever it may be with the aov community so whenever you're ready uh feel free to take the floor and deliver the message yeah so i think you know the topic we've been talking about today has been mental health and i want everyone to realize that everybody's dealing with something and don't be afraid to talk to somebody about whatever you might be experiencing find that close friend find that close family member get sit down with them talk to them ask them how they're doing tell them to open up to you, seek that professional help if you need it. 
and don't let society direct you in any way you in, in a negative way just do what you feel is best for you my dude adam danny thank you for coming on the show brother you guys can find adam on instagram at adam r danny that's a d a m r d a n n i epic photographer even better human being and be sure to stay tuned for the next episode of the art of visuals podcast make sure to subscribe google itunes spotify it's all over please share it with your friends share with anyone that needs to hear this stuff and until next time peace thank you for listening to another episode of the art of visuals podcast be sure to follow us on Instagram at Art of Visuals and definitely make sure to check out our IGTV for our new creative series called AOV to the Point. It's a micro series for quick tips, tutorials, and inspiration to feel creators on their journey. Our team sits down with some of the top creative minds to get an inside glimpse of their creative process. Tune in every Wednesday on IGTV for a new episode. 